the closer I got to that high level, the more I was like, I don't want to be in a room where I'm a quiet voice. I didn't like that environment. Well, you can't say that. Says who? You should hear some of the stuff that my boss says. It's not a double standard. If he says it, it's fair game. And I'm not being critical and I'm not on my period. I am just being honest. And because you don't want to hear it, you need something to blame. So pick the woman. You're listening to Femcanic Garage, the podcast that features women in the automotive and motorsports industries. A community that elevates, empowers, and evolves by smashing stereotypes and breaking down barriers for women. I'm your host, Jamie Blossman. Buckle up for the ride, Femcanics. Femcanics, I want to hear from you. Text me what your favorite episode is. How I could improve the podcast. What products would you like to see? But most importantly, I just want to connect with you. Text me at 614-953-6380. Again, that's 614-953-6380. I receive each message directly, and I'm excited to hear from you. Go on, press pause and save my number, 614-953-6380. Molly Gursky is in the driver's seat today. She's the co-owner of Driven Restorations, LLC, a classic car and truck restoration shop. Every vehicle they build is meant to be driven. She was asked to participate in two all-women builds, And most recently, they had a 1959 T-Bird featured at SEMA in 2019. Sit back and enjoy the ride. Hello, Femcanics. This is Jamie B. coming to you, and I have Molly Gursky in the driver's seat today. Thanks for being in the hot seat today, Molly. How are you doing? I'm doing great. We had a beautiful day out on the boat. It was a nice, long weekend, so I'm ready to get back to work tomorrow. Ah. Well, I'm not. <laughs> You're better than me. <laughs> I'd rather stay out on the boat longer. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, yeah. <laughs> so I actually had the privilege of meeting you in person at SEMA. Uh, I stumbled upon you, and um, I think it was through Instagram, just kind of through the network, through the montage build and bogey and I'm like, wow, this is a cool lady. I want to get to know her and see if she'd be interested in being on the show. And we just kept missing each other because you were doing this little thing called a build for SEMA. <laughs> no, no, uh, no small feat there. But uh, the T-Bird was absolutely beautiful. And I'm so glad I got to see it in person. Yeah, it was, it was great to meet you there. And that was such a whirlwind that... Uh, I feel like I met a million people and I don't know any of them. So I feel a little bad about that. But that build was, that was a whirlwind and so was the event. Yeah, it it took a while for us to to recover from all of that insanity. Oh, yeah. I imagine some hibernation (laughs) would be ideal. (laughs) Although hibernation is never an option when you have children. (laughs) No, that's not an option. It is not an option. No, oh. they keep you on your toes and they're basically, they are your schedule. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I feel you. And this homeschooling things for the birds. <laughs> yeah. It's an experience. <laughs> it's an experience. We'll leave it at that. But I, I kind of wanted to take it back a little bit because when I started following you, this is a little further down your career. And I always get curious, especially with your background, you didn't start your career in the automotive industry. It just kind of went that way eventually. So if it's okay with you, Molly, I'd kind of like to take a step back and kind of understand your journey into the automotive industry. So I guess what were you doing before you were in the automotive industry? Oh, the real question is, what wasn't I doing? I've always been a really hard worker. 
And uh, I basically started working, don't tell anybody, (laughs) but I started working when I was about eight and I was mucking stalls and taking care of horses and always out in the fields and um, teaching riding lessons, schooling horses, that sort of thing. And I ended up going somehow, some way, I entered shop class in high school and I'm still not 100% sure what caused me to do that. I always liked the idea of being able to take care of myself and be able to take care of my own vehicles. But shop class was never really, I don't know, on the agenda. Um, My family has no background in mechanics or maintenance or working with cars in any shape, way or form for the most part. I mean, my dad would have me help him like change the oil in the driveway on our you know, it was daily drivers. It was a Volkswagen Vanagon. So we'd change the oil in the driveway. And I just thought it was the coolest thing ever that you could like take stuff off and swap stuff out. And I just, I got addicted to working with my hands at that point. Um, But then somewhere along the line, it ended up being more of a well, you need to go to college. So you can, you know, you, you need an education and education is extremely important. And I would never change the, the way that I ended up here. Uh, but I ended up graduating high school, going to uh, UW River Falls, and I got my four-year degree in animal science. I had my bachelor's of animal science. I had an emphasis in actually equine, but I wound up in the dairy industry as a nutrition consultant, which is basically a salesperson with a science-based background. So I was essentially making farm calls and anybody that wants to get a solid career under the belt should do sales at some point. Ooh, Molly, I got to pause you. I got to pause you. I so agree with you. I I so agree with you. It is a skill that transcends all industries because it, it's it's human psychology. I, it really, really is. Yeah, and, and some people avoid it like the plague. It's terrifying. I mean, there's no way around it. Sales is terrifying. Asking for things is terrifying. But it is essential to your personal success and your livelihood that you become comfortable with it. You have to. If you never ask for the sale, you never ask for success. It does not happen without your initiative to ask for it. Yeah, I so agree with you. And I always tell my kids, if you don't ask for it, the answer is absolutely no. Because you'll never know. <laughs> yeah. But if you ask, it may be yes, it may be no. But at least you're setting yourself self up for the opportunity for a yes. Exactly. And I guess I was less afraid of a career in sales because I, I had done DECA in high school. So that was basically, and that's what made me fall in love with business ownership. So I took... Um, Courses in entrepreneurship, marketing, um, business management, uh, logistics, that sort of thing in high school. So my high school offered a wide variety. I mean, they they still had an actual shop class as well as all of these extracurricular aspects. And the, the business courses were still part of their curriculum. So I took all of those. And that was what really opened my eyes to I can be my own boss. I can run a business. I know how to get the resources that I need to be able to do this. And I can make it successful if I want to. But it was that wanting to and that drive that made the difference. And then going into a industry that was sales driven, but still science based. So there was still fact and education behind it, where you still had to know your stuff. So it intrigued me because I had to continue learning and master the sales aspect. And like, like you had mentioned, you have to master that interpersonal relationship aspect as well. You have to be able to read people and mimic their body language and understand where they're coming from, show empathy, but then still be able to ask for the sale because you're confident in what you have. Oh, that, that is so true. I could never sell something I don't believe in. 
I just couldn't. Yeah, that's important. <laughs> yeah, you do, you do need to believe in it. If it's, I could never hawk like bad jewelry or something. <laughs> that is not not my thing. <laughs> oh my god, that's hilarious! Bad jewelry of all things. <laughs> and i don't even like jewelry so. yeah, that's what's so humorous about it. it's like jewelry yes it's appropriate i totally understand i could not hawk bad jewelry either oh that's outstanding so here you are you're in high school you go you leave you graduate high school you go to college, you get your four-year degree, and and I'm listening to your story, Molly, and I'm hearing my own story and it through your story because that was the same thing. When I graduated high school, the message that I got from my family is, duh, no, they weren't rude about it, but it's your next step well, right. is yeah. college. Yep. There, there was no other next step except for college, right? Yeah, and, no, it was which college, not are yeah. you going to college? It yeah, was it's which not college if. are you going to? Yeah, it's not yeah. if, it's which one and what major. Those were the questions. Yep. And, I, you know, I'm with you. I wouldn't change any of it because I'm who I am today be, because of everything that I've done. But I'm with you, Molly. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm kind of curious in a way if I just would have started working from my hand, with my hands from the get-go. I know that I would not have. Yeah, I do know that. I know that I needed to do the independent corporate life. And I worked my way, way up real fast. So um, I spent three years doing sales for one company, um, got fired for some really shady stuff because I was trying to leave that company. And I actually ended up having a personal email intercepted when I was asking somebody if they would be my reference while I was job hunting. And, um, wait a second. They I want to make sure I, I yeah. understood what you said. They, inter- yeah. <laughs> they, it was your personal email. Yes. Yep. I sent an email. So you know how you like have a company computer and a company email and things. Yeah. Yeah. I had, I had a company email, company phone, everything, but I, um, sent it from my personal desktop on my personal email to a business contact of mine who had previously left the company that I was working for and let him know that I was looking at leaving and mm-hmm. I wanted to depart. And somehow, some way, my employer intercepted that email on a device somehow. I don't know. <laughs> I still don't know. It still baffles my mind. But wow. they fired me for it. And then they tried to get me to sign a letter of resignation so that they wouldn't have to pay any benefits. And I said no. <laughs> so yeah. they had to pay me unemployment. Meanwhile, um, I was on the job hunt. So I ended up hunting for a job and I had like seven offers uh, that were uh, two and a half times my previous salary. So yes, I please. My, <laughs> yeah, exactly. The fastest way to increase your pay is to leave your current job. Let me just say that. You are drop so. you are dropping so many knowledge bombs. And you don't even realize it. Oh, I've seen a lot. And I've seen a lot. And I You're so right. <laughs> I am just sitting here thinking about what you're saying. And, and and I'm so I'm like sitting here nodding my head. Not that you can see me, but I'm I'm nodding my head and I'm like <laughs> Molly's hitting the nail on the head, and that is so true. If you want a pay raise, leave your current job and negotiate yep. for yourself. Whatever your current salary is, leave your job, tack on whatever percentage or thousands of dollars double that you th- – Double it. There we go. Double it. Double Ooh, it. I love it. Double <laughs> it. And go in with confidence, and you're worth it. Oh, I love it. Keep going. Keep going. What's next? <laughs> so so I ended up not signing the letter of resignation and I got multiple offers and at that time we were living in like northwest Wisconsin and one of the offers happened to be closer to where my parents lived and where I grew up which was near Madison Wisconsin so I relocated um granted it was a paid relocation because it was a bidding war so <laughs> so we moved and um Steve had already um, Steve is my husband. So at that time we had been married a while. I'm dates are going to be fuzzy here. Um, this year we've been married 14 years and we've been together for 
oh boy, 18, 18 years this October. So uh, we moved down here just over 10 years ago, I believe, and, it, and he had just left his job. He had worked in collision repair, but he always wanted to do restoration. I was working a corporate job, but I always wanted to own a business. So when we relocated, we bought a house that was fit for both. Something that we could afford, but that we could start the business here and have a solid foundation with good buildings, have room to grow. And it was close enough to my central location for work that I could work full time and basically f- cover the household bills. And then everything that Steve earned in the shop was going to build the business while I ran the books and the marketing side of the business um, from there on out in order to grow it. Wow. What so a team. It was all it was all extremely strategic. And when I wanted to leave, um, I always had a plan that when we moved down here, I was going to eventually leave that job in my career. Um, I did not know that I would leave that career and be nearly as hands-on as I've become and love it. So that sort of eked into my life and I would, I, that is like my favorite thing ever. Now, when I need to spend time in the office doing book work, I'm like, no, can I just go weld something? <laughs> like, let, let me up. I want to go out there. I know, right? <laughs> like, leave me alone with my welder and I'll be happy. <laughs> I'm sitting here and, and I'm, I'm listening to your story. And again, I'm like, oh my God, she's telling my story too. But there, I work in corporate America and the idea of getting out of corporate America and, you know, having your own business and doing your own thing is so enticing. But I'm curious, that was a corporate job that paid well and you had benefits. It was security. Oh, right? yeah. How? Oh, yeah. I had I had a car. What was that process <laughs> that you went through? Were you scared? Like, how, how did you end up getting to the point where it's like, okay, I'm walking away from this? So it was planned to a point. I knew that I was going to leave. And I knew, I, I knew a basic timeline just based on the shop growth because I was doing the books and everything for the shop. I was very connected to everything that was happening in the shop with the cars and writing the contracts for the customers and all that sort of stuff. So it's like the more contracts we wrote forward... Um, the more Steve and I were talking about, okay, well, how are we going to do this transition? Um, it ended up sort of happening to me more so than me ha- me making it happen. So um, about a, two years prior to when I initially planned to quit my job, the business that I was working in changed a lot and they hired a consultant. And um, let's just say he wasn't the friendliest person to work with. Um, He wasn't outrightly harassing me or anything, but there were a lot of issues that popped up and it forced me out a little bit earlier. So when I made that decision to leave that job, when I did, it was terrifying. It was both freeing and extremely terrifying at the same time. I had all of our health insurance was through there. um, Our second car I had a company car, company laptop, phone, everything. I mean, you name it, they were providing it and it was helping subsidize my livelihood in order to help grow the shop. So yeah, it was scary, um, but it was still part of the plan. But as they say, (laughs) you know, best laid plans. (laughs) <laughs> never work out quite like you think they will. Um, luckily, this one, you have to have the tenacity and the confidence to work through that change and adapt your plan. And that is what we did. I mean, I'd be lying if there were weeks where I wasn't like, I don't know how I'm buying groceries this week. And that was very, I, I come from a very stable childhood. So for me to be in that situation was um, different. What did your parents think of this? They were actually super supportive because they, I shared everything that was going on at my job with them. Uh Um, I don't think I was a hundred percent transparent about the financial side of it because you don't know 
necessarily the financial side of it. That's the thing is like people, they always say, well, it's all or nothing. You either quit your job and you go work for yourself or, or, you know, you ease into it, do the side hustle thing, and then you're never really free. Well, I was kind of forced into the quit your job and Mm -hmm. deal with it scenario. And that's, um, I, I don't, I still would not recommend it for people, (laughs) but my parents were extremely supportive because they saw what was happening emotionally to me. Mm -hmm. The job that I was in was, was basically killing me emotionally. So I couldn't stay there and I knew it. So I stuck it out as long as I could, but I'll tell you what, I had a shit eaten grin on my face when I went in there and they took them about a week to accept my resignation. They wouldn't even accept my resignation because they thought they were going to get sued. (laughs) Oh my God. It um, was that bad. That was kind of fun. Yeah, it was bad. It was pretty bad, but it wasn't anything like outrightly litigious. So it's not like there was any, there wasn't any, I didn't go through anything that I have heard stories about in the corporate world where it's like very, sexual harassment based on that sort of thing. It wasn't, but it was very belittling. It was definitely bullying and mistreatment. And the irony of it is the guy was the guy that was doing it wasn't even an employee. <laughs> so I, I'm just shocked the company would even allow that. That's just disappointing. Yeah. You and me both. <laughs> but it worked out for the best. It really did. So there's a bigger, better plans for you. Yeah, exactly. And it pushed me out much faster than I would have planned to. But sometimes you just need that extra like kick in the ass to be like, hey, stupid, go do that now. <laughs> like this, this is your path. Go walk it. Oh, I love that. You'd mentioned that, you know, don't get me wrong. There were days that I wasn't sure how I was going to get groceries. I mean, Wow. I'm just processing that in my head to go from complete stability. Did that cause any stress on your relation, yours and Steve's relationship? We've actually always been extremely strong together. So anytime that we're kind of weird, we're very old fashioned. We're kind of like my parents are where if one of us is going to make a major decision, it's not a major decision for one of us. It's for both of us. But if one person feels that strongly that it is an absolute necessity, it is the best for both of us and our family. So in this situation, that is what the situation was. He understood that the shop wasn't quite profitable yet. I mean, we were still only in like our mm, fourth year, maybe. Um, So we were just like barely profitable the previous year because you have to buy so much equipment and we were cash flowing everything. So it was a matter of, I'm not going to pile debt on the shop because I can cash flow it. So we paid cash for everything to grow our shop, uh, which was a blessing in disguise because then it's like, yeah, I'm at the grocery store going, how am I going to do this this week? Except I don't have the debt monster breathing down our back either. So Steve and I were always very open and honest and he knew he, he saw, and he told me that I should have left sooner than I did even. So he was more worried about me as a person than he was about groceries. Something that I have thought about often is leaving corporate America and kind of chasing after business, but it's terrifying especially when you have children, right? Because it's not just about you and your husband. It's about thinking about the kids too. Yeah, that's the number one thing. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, I had, if I absolutely needed to, I had places I could ask family for money if I needed to, but that was not on the table for me at that. I mean, that was like, I have something to prove and I'm going to prove it that we can do this. You quit your job. And now the next week, you don't have a job in, well, you know, corporate job. You just start working in the shop then? Yeah, it took, basically I did. Yeah. 
it took a couple of weeks to get into the swing of things. So, I mean, you have to get a routine because it's sort of like if you hire somebody new in a shop, you have a new body there and you, that body needs to be doing something in order to earn money. Um, and at that time, my skill set was pretty limited. I mean, he had taught me how to weld and how to do basic assembly and things. And he always jokes that I'm that type of annoying person that if you show them something for five seconds, then they can do it for the rest of their life and do it better than they can. So <laughs> he's, he's like, you're just, you're a, a jerk and an anomaly and I love you for it because he would just show me something once and I could do it. And I can't put that into words because he's not the only person who's ever told me that. And I don't know why that is, but I am a very hands-on learner. So especially if it is something that is tactile that I have to physically do with my hands um, that requires some sort of forethought and planning. So like if you're going to assemble a car, what order do you do it in? Then I make a a checklist, go down the list, do it all. If I run into a task that I don't know how to do, I ask somebody, they show me how to do it one time and then I can just do it. And you just go down the list and then the car's done and off you go. So um, I'm a very no-nonsense worker. Sometimes people tell me I'm too quiet or I'm cold <laughs> or something. And it's like, no, I'm just like, this is business. I'm, I'm working. focused. So <laughs> I am focused on what I am doing. Leave me alone unless it's important. <laughs> Just the whole idea that you you guys bought a house knowing that you're going to grow your business. And here you are. You are now working full-time in your shop, which is called Driven Restorations. And yep. I, I love what I read. You said, when customers pull up, they are greeted by our three dogs who are always in the shop or sleeping in the driveway. And as soon as I read that, I'm like, I could imagine doing that. I could imagine driving my 6540 Econoline to visit you and have have a glass of wine or I'm a bourbon girl and watching (laughs) these dogs chase me up the driveway. I'm like, how neat is that? It is a a very picturesque location. And there are don't get me wrong, there are days when it's like, I just want to run away, but then how spoiled are you really? So then I just feel like an a-hole because I'm like, I'm so tired from everything that's going on, especially this, this year has been interesting with everything. So yeah, you just, sometimes you have to sit back and just look at the sky and appreciate the world, the the bigger world around you, it is still spinning and you are like a teeny tiny little ant in it and you need to just embrace it, do your best and keep going. Yes, that is sound advice, my friend. In this me, this also means that when you quit that corporate job and you started working full time in the shop, that now you are working with your husband then in the shop, then you go home and there's no real division there. And there's probably some listeners like, I could never work with my husband, (laughs) right? What what makes it work? Um, I really have no idea. There are actually days or weeks, I guess, that if I'm working in the shop and I'm actually too separate from working with him physically, like where we're, fitting a bumper or um, consulting each other on metal fabrication or he's bouncing ideas off me for an engine or a hot rod chassis or something like that where we actually argue more if we work more distantly we get along great when we work closer together so like if you leave us two alone in the shop for a month, we're happy as clams. <laughs> so it's it's kind of ridiculous. It's like the more interruptions and the more outside world that comes in and interrupts that process, the more difficult it becomes. And I I can't explain it other than I knew he was my soulmate when I met him. <laughs> that's pretty that's pretty much what it comes down to. It's uh, a solid respect for each other is the foundation of that. Absolutely. Do you guys ever get on each other's nerves? 
Um, I wouldn't even say that it's on each other's nerves. It's just more of like a a noticing thing. Like Steve's a, a total storyteller. So, I mean, he'll talk your ear off and tell stories for an hour if you'll let him. And I'm more of a, okay, we're done here. Let's go. <laughs> it was nice chatting. Now let's move on. <laughs> yes. It's nice chatting. I have things to do. I'm going to leave now. I don't care if you're still talking. I'm going this way. If you want to keep talking, you can follow me. Goodbye. (laughs) Now, Molly, would you consider yourself an uh, introvert or an extrovert? You know, I used to say that I was an introvert. I am an ambivert. An ambivert? I haven't heard that one. You have Okay. So an ambivert is somebody who can um, manipulate their personality between the two as needed. And that is why I was so good at sales, because if I needed to be an extrovert to work with an introvert in order to get them to sort of like come out of their shell, or if I needed to be an extrovert for an extrovert, because that's what they wanted, I could do it. If I need some, if stuff needs to be done, then I can become an introvert and I'm perfectly fine being alone in a building by myself for a week at a time getting stuff done. And um, I'll reach out as needed, but I don't necessarily need people to keep myself motivated, if that makes sense. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> it is. Yeah, I know. I, I always tried to put myself into one of the boxes and I always knew it wasn't necessary. I am definitely not a natural born extrovert. Mm-hmm. I'm not the life of the party. I'm definitely tired after big events with lots of socializing, but I can do it when I need to. And it doesn't hurt me in any shape, way or form. It doesn't make me feel anxious or anything like that. (laughs) Yeah, it does. It doesn't cause any sort of like reaction of some kind. It's just that I know how to schedule myself. So that's, that's a once a week deal. And I'm not going to do that twice in one week. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a general emotional intelligence, I guess, is what it comes down to. So that you understand your feelings and your impulses and what you need in that moment. I I love that. And I have never heard of that before. And the more I'm listening to you explain it, I'm like, man, I like my alone time. But I think I'm more of a natural extrovert. Uh, But I definitely get recharged during some of the alone time too, like the quiet alone time. Yeah, I never fit in one of the boxes. Yeah. They they would always like give you like a text checklist of which one are you and I was I was always like half on one side and half on the other. <laughs> like, well, I don't You're like, where's the really continuum? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm like, well, just like I'm I'm both. <laughs> yeah. And eventually, eventually they did actually come out with that whole ambivert thing where you don't need to be in one or the other. And whenever I did those personality tests, Uh I was always very much in the middle of the spectrum. Yeah. So I could basically, whenever I wanted to, I could go into any one of those four corners (laughs) and be like, oh, now I'm over here. Oh, wait, now I'm over there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sitting here listening to this and and I'm chuckling inside because... It, there's that there's a conversation around whether you're straight or gay <laughs> it's like there's yeah. so many it's like this continuum i'm like oh my gosh and there's they've come up with so many new words to describe things and some of it i uh-huh. i don't i i i'm i'm learning um well, fear things that they can't put in a box if they can't put it in a box or on a checklist it's scary yes Yes, and to me, it doesn't scare me. I just think it. I think it's interesting. In yeah, that it's that simple to me. It, it makes me curious. But yeah, I, I don't know. It's just some things. It's like, what is so scary about this? And I, I struggle with trying to understand and connect with some people who have such a great fear around it, uh, whatever it is. Do you think maybe that's because you were, you went to a four-year school or you, you went to college? I feel like people who experienced, whether they finished it or not, but they went and they experienced an after high school program of some kind mm-hmm. have a bit more curiosity. 
not necessarily knowledge, yeah. but a bit more respect for curiosity and exploring the unknown and not judging it before they understand it. I haven't really thought about it, Molly, but it, it makes me think more about it. That would be interesting research, wouldn't it? Versus the the individuals that never left home. Right, yeah. Or their hometown. Yep. Hmm. Yeah, you're more open-minded. You're more exploratory. You look for things and you don't necessarily judge it before you know it. And yeah. a lot of things you never know. <laughs> How do you judge them if you don't understand them? Right, right. very closed-minded. Or by the, by any standard, why even judge? Just, it is. It is what it is. That's what that's one of the right. things I love about the automotive industry, and I said it before and I'll say it again, is that, and it's not just the automotive industry, there's a lot of other topics and sports does can do this as well, um, but it, you have people who may have completely different political views or values or whatever the case may be, fill in the blank, but the cool thing that I love about automotive is that you can have two people at completely two different ends of the spectrum, whatever that spectrum is. And you can sit there and have a conversation, a a very fun conversation together about something that you're both passionate about. And it's just about finding more things that more ways and more things that we're alike than we're different. And I always think that's really cool. I agree. Yeah. And Steve always Steve always touted his gut about people and I always felt a little bit naive because when I would meet new people, I'd always think the best of them always until you give me a reason not to respect you or trust you. Mm -hmm. I will just assume that you are good, whether you're a hobo on the street or like some corporate executive. And the older I get, the more naive I feel like that makes me, but it is still something that I'm, I'm struggling with with myself because you don't really know people you've met them. And there's a big difference. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure where to draw that line between knowing and trusting. Ooh, yeah. I'm the same way, Molly. It, the way you're describing Steve is similar to like what I describe my partner as. And... It, it sound it's almost kind of like vinegar out of the mouth sound referring to yourself as naive right because i don't want to consider myself naive it, yeah but at the same time it's like i do the same thing i'm i will trust you and always give you the benefit of the doubt and that has backfired for me in my life on many occasions unfortunately yeah yep and and for me it's been on uh, a very few large occasions. And let me tell you, if you, you prove me wrong that you're a good person, you will never get off that list <laughs> ever. But it, ta- it does take a fair amount to get on that list of people to uh, the blacklist avoid. <laughs> Yeah, get blacklisted. I don't want to say that I'd whack them because I wouldn't. But. <laughs> Listen, you sound yeah, like the the mobsters from Chicago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. go Hold whack on, people. I'm gonna go whack this guy over here. <laughs> oh my goodness, because we're so ghetto. <laughs> oh man, that's so funny. Oh, geez. And this kind of not that whacking people (laughs) made me think of this, but I'm sitting there just thinking about here we are two two women bullshitting about in in the automotive industry, having a conversation. And you were actually part of two all female builds. And what I find interesting about that is that your day job is 100% working with your husband. So I'm curious, when you had an opportunity to do an all-female build, here you are working exclusively around women, and then your shop, you're working exclusively around men. Did you notice any differences? Or 
Um, yes. So, and even actually, I think Steve is really the one that pointed it out. So when I, very shortly after I left my corporate job, um, I actually ended up being, I don't remember how I got hooked up with Joanne Bortles, but somehow we connected and I ended up in, uh, Florida with her for the Valkyrie build. And that was in mm, 2014, I think at that time. I was a, when I showed up there, I told Joanne, like, look, I can take direction. You show me something, I can do it. And that was where I was in my skill set. I was a novice, but a very quick learner. And I knew the basics. I understood quality. I understood how to do certain things, um, basic shop operations, stuff like that. And when I came back from that, I came back on a weekend and I want to say it was like either late Saturday or early Sunday. And I was so motivated because I had found people to connect with on a different level. It was different people, different uh, approaches to skills, different procedures, but different is not wrong. It was just something that it opened my eyes to being like, there are more than a million ways to skin a cat. And I've just learned a few. And I came back and I felt very empowered because I had knowledge that I didn't have when I flew to Florida. So when I came back, the first thing I did was put on my work clothes and go out in the shop and sand a car all day. I could not get enough of it. I was so motivated and I sanded that car until it was ready to be painted. And we did that like five days after I got back from uh, Florida. So not to say that Steve doesn't motivate me because um, obviously it's our shop and our things and every, you know, it's our reputation at stake here. But when I was able to connect with other women in the industry, it just, it lit a fire. And the same thing happened to me on the Valkyrie build too. It was, or on the, on the montage build it, but that was different for me because I was more of the experienced person there. So it was a bit of a, it, we flipped the script and it made me feel empowered in a very different way. Like I could do it and I knew how to do it and I had the confidence to make decisions because even just being in my shop, working with my husband, there are days where you're like, am I doing this right? And sometimes it's merited. Sometimes it is something new that you need somebody else's input on. And Steve gives me honest feedback every time. And if I'm still questioning anything, or if he's still like, well, maybe there's a better way Then we, we do research. I phone a friend I find ways to educate myself, but I felt empowered in a way that was much more personal confidence than just motivation. Mm. Did you find any differences, females versus male? I'm just curious because you have a unique perspective there. A lot less ego. So like when you go and you work, when I went and worked with women, and I don't, I can't speak to whether or not it's just because they're women or if it's because of the environment or what have you, but it just seemed a lot more collaborative mm-hmm. where if somebody had an idea, it was respected and it was entertained and you were heard, you weren't necessarily right, but they heard you and they understood you and then you'd all work it out. Whereas, and I mean, there's more than just Steve here. We have male employees Mm -hmm. and they're all much older than me so well and you worked in corporate america too and just because it's in a shop i mean there's still the any one of those settings you don't you get uh there's a grain of salt with pretty much everything you say and i'm very sad to say that even when i sign an employee's paycheck who happens to be a male i'm still questioned in my own shop And it makes me upset, but not, not uncomfortable. Yeah. 
because I can't change other people. Yeah. And I still sign their check. And if it gets to a point there, you know, you don't need to work here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's it. And it's, it's interesting in the fact that female empowerment and women empowerment doesn't equal male disempowerment. No, but it's, it's this interesting thing where if a woman questions those dynamics, like, what like what you're saying the ego and things like that she's being a feminist but it and it's used in like a negative connotation but i don't know masculinity is celebrated but i yeah i love the i i love the fact i'm a woman yeah exactly and that was one of the things in corporate the closer i got to the the uh, corner office, which I was basically the right hand to the VP in my department. When I left, the closer I got to that high level, the more I was like, I don't, I don't want to be in a room where I'm a quiet voice because I am not a quiet voice. (laughs) I don't know how many times I've said something in public. It seems like, you know, you said that really loud. I'm like, so (laughs) (laughs) I don't care. Do you say it louder then? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what's your problem? I was right. <laughs> so, I mean, I didn't like that environment where it's like, well, you can't say that. Says who? Yeah. Like, you should hear some of the stuff that my boss says. Like, this is not, it's not a double standard. If he says it, it's fair game, period. And I'm not being critical and I'm not on my period. I am just being honest. And because you don't want to hear it, you need something to blame. So <laughs> pick the woman. <laughs> there's there's so much truth to that. And, and Molly, you probably experienced this. And I think it's funny where you're sitting in a meeting and... <laughs> And I'm, I don't mean to pick on males, but it's funny. We we can have fun with the differences between male and female, uh-huh. but we need when call a spade a spade when it's there, right? But sitting in a meeting, a guy says something, and this has happened to me before, and I'll say something, and it's like a better idea when, when they say it, or they say something, and I, I'm sitting there looking around. But it's a senior person that says it. So it's the greatest idea since sliced bread because everyone kind of everyone's kissing their ass. And Mm -hmm. I'm looking around like, seriously, like people really. (laughs) And I'll say it. I'm like, I disagree. And sometimes that has shot me in the foot. And other times it has earned me more of their respect. It really depends what I have found on. The, their own personal confidence, self-confidence. And, and that it, is the thing is you can't, you cannot ever take it personally, male or female. Cause that, I mean, there are bad females out there. Mm-hmm. You, there are some women that I have met in the industry that I'm like, you are not my cup of tea and I do not need you in my life. Like that, that is it. And, but it's, you have to be confident in your own resolve and your own goals and who you are in order to make that decision about another person. And so many times the people that are being super reactive to you are the ones that are feeling less than confident <laughs> or, or threatened recently by really screwed up. And they're like, Oh crap. Does this person have something on me? Like, do they know that I forgot that conference call that was super important or something, you know, you never know what, what somebody else's life is, is doing to them. What is next for Molly then? Here you are right now. What's, you've had a SEMA build. What, what is next for Molly? That's a good question. Um, this year has been a lot of reevaluating. So Sometimes bigger isn't always better. So when we went to SEMA, that was like that 2019 was a great year for us. We had a lot of really great builds, a lot of really incredible partnerships with suppliers and people. 
And I still, I cherish all the ones with all of them. This year has nothing has gone as planned. So we are basically in a holding pattern right now. So my future holds me staying in business and staying in the shop, um, continuing to work on cars with Steve. We're still booked into 2021. So, I mean, it's business is fine, but it has really made us reevaluate what is important to us. And family is definitely first. And we need to be very intentional about how how we spend our time. And that's been the story of 2020, especially for small businesses, is just making the right decisions to take care of your business and keep the doors open. Yeah, it's been, um, I don't know, the first half of the year, I was pretty optimistic that everything was going to be okay and mostly normal by now and by now i'm going no nothing's normal and everybody just needs to take a step back and reevaluate their priorities because mm-hmm. in the end we do build toys and mm-hmm. i understand that their family heirlooms a lot of them are vehicles that they've owned since childhood and i get the importance of it but I cannot control my supplier's lack of availability of parts and I can't control delays in shipping. And there are delays in shipping. I am I'm blown away by how long <laughs> certain things take now. Well, that's not even the half of it. The, uh, the other half of that issue is that a lot of the stuff that's showing up is not built to spec or correct we had a crate engine show up that had uh rockers that were they had a ton of play left and right which they're not supposed to Mm -hmm. um and we've had i don't know how many like electrical parts fail new out of the box so then you add all of that broken windshields showing up um i mean i cannot count or name the number of obstacles with parts that we have come up with. And then everybody's on edge and we love our customers and we communicate with them a lot and we send them photos of their cars constantly. And it's, it's still a matter of, well, why isn't it done yet? And Mm. when it's beyond your control, it's really, really hard to still feel good about yourself when you, when you miss a deadline or if somebody's a little bit upset, but at the end of the day, keeping your priorities in line needs to be first and foremost. And, and hearing you talk makes me think about the red line round, because a lot of stuff that you're saying falls into the questions that I'm going to ask you. So I don't want to steal all of your thunder yet, but okay. are you ready for the red line round? Sure, well, let's go. See, you've listened to the podcast before, so you know the red line round is just five rapid fire questions. There's no right or wrong answer to it. Whatever pops into your head first is the right answer. But I have a feeling yep. I may know where some of these are going. So let, let's give it a whirl. Who or what has been your inspiration throughout your journey in the industry? My husband, Steve. Background noise. Aww. (laughs) (laughs) You know, in like clapping. (laughs) I should get those for my podcast. (laughs) Oh, God. That's awesome. That is so awesome. Where do you go or what resources do you use when you want to learn something new or get stuck on a job? Uh, I phone a friend first. I hear that, and every time I, it reminds me of, wasn't there a game show where you could phone a friend? Yeah, it was the millionaire thing, but with Regis Philbin. Yes. <laughs> what would you like to pick? <laughs> yeah, who wants who wants to be a millionaire? That's it. <laughs> would you like to phone a friend? <laughs> Why, yes, Regis, I would. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, see, next time you think of that, you're going to 
See, I've I've just ruined phoning a friend for you now. <laughs> oh boy! Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> you can be like, "Damn it, Jamie." <laughs> Uh, Molly, what excites you most? Right, right. What excites you most about what you do? Seeing results. I like to see what I built be finished and driven. Oh, that that's very rewarding. And and I imagine you've observed some of your clients probably getting pretty emotional when they receive it too. that delivery. Oh, there's been a lot of tears. Yeah. A lot of them cry because mm. they're, they're all family heirlooms. They're not just like auction cars or something. They're, they all have meaning. Those are some of the, the best to work on. Molly, what is a personal habit or practice that has helped you significantly in the industry when you feel stuck or discouraged a personal habit Uh, my morning routine so I wake up in the morning at like mm, 4 30 4 45 have a cup of coffee and take my dogs for a walk I read a book or a it's a very short passage in a book really every day and do a little bit of journaling so that I get my mind right because Nothing ever goes right as the day goes on. Usually by noon, it's a, it's a shit show. So (laughs) at least my morning is within my control. (laughs) Wow. That's a great routine, but I want to just double check myself. Did you say 4.30 in the morning? Yeah. Yes, I did. I'm a morning person. (laughs) It's not like, that's not expect anybody else. I know my daughter gets up really early. So like, I have to get up like really, really early to get up before her. And I don't even set an alarm. I just wake up. That's just when I wake up. Holy shnikes. I can't. Yeah. (laughs) There's something wrong with me. What time do you normally go to bed? Um, now. (laughs) wow yeah i'm usually in bed by like 8 30 i mean i still get my sleep and everything i just okay you just go to bed earlier okay yeah so you're still getting your seven hours of sleep got it yeah yeah what is your parting advice to other femcanics finding their way in the skilled trades and automotive industry put you first you are worth it You are your only limitation, and you have the power to remove those limits. I can't think of a more direct, straightforward thing to say. And I think that was said beautifully. Molly, where and how can people connect in Driven Restorations? Probably via all of our business pages. So we're at Driven Restorations with an S dot com. And we are Driven Restorations on Instagram and Facebook. And those are probably the best places to like, follow, and message. Awesome. I do have to ask this because it's pure curiosity. Do you have a favorite build? Oh, goodness. Um, yeah, until we did the T-Bird, it was the 51 Ford. But now it's... It's got to be the 59 T-Bird because I put all the miles on it before the owner took it home. <laughs> She's a lot of fun to drive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Molly, thank you so much for being in the driver's seat today and pulling back the curtain and letting, letting us into your world for just a little bit. Thanks again. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time, what you do. My name is Molly Gursky. I am the co-owner of Driven Restorations, LLC, and I'm a femcanic. Renee Brinkeroff is in the driver's seat next. The 64-year-old world rally racer and philanthropist has traveled the world. Her and her team have one goal, to rescue children around the globe from human trafficking by raising money through the Valkyrie Racing and Valkyrie Gives. She plans to complete a 20,000-mile World Rally Tour this year in her 1956 Porsche 356A. Trust me, this is not an interview you will want to miss.
Until next time, Femcanics. Thanks for listening to the Femcanic Garage Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Femcanic Garage. Check out our website, femcanicgarage.com, for swag and the transcribed for each episode. If you want to help grow this community, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, share this podcast. Spread the word. This is Jamie B. signing off. Are you a femcanic?